You are now listening to Discover Your Potential with renowned radio talk show host and certified holistic practitioner, Cindy Gilman. So listen, participate, be inspired. Know that you can discover your potential. Here she is, Cindy Gilman. And a very good afternoon to all of you. On this, the first day of Daylight Savings Time. Yay, it's lighter later. So, this is Discover Your Potential. I'm Cindy Gilman. This is a program that's geared to you, my audience, to help help you live up to your full potential. I have guests that have interesting life stories and how they got involved with their life's work. And uh, if you've missed part of this program, you can always listen to our podcasts, which are located at Pandora, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and iTunes. And I want to just mention that the upcoming programs, our next program, we do a program every other Sunday. Our next program is with Stephen the Medium. And in April, I'm really excited, Jean Beretta, who writes and illustrates children's books, and his brother, Bill Beretta, who is, is the voice, I should say, are the voices for many of the Muppets. So that should be, that should be a really fun show. The other thing I want to mention is I want to wish a very happy birthday to my friend Annie in Florida. I've known her since the second grade. And a belated happy birthday to Bill Guggenheim, who is the co-author of Hello from Heaven. And he will be on our program in May. So it's very, we've got some exciting things coming up. Today is... International Women's Day, and it relates to women who make or made a difference in this world. I kind of made a list of some of those women. See if you agree with me. Amelia Earhart, Eunice Kennedy Shriver, who started Special Olympics, Jacqueline Kennedy, Florence Nightingale, Eleanor Roosevelt, Maria Curie, Rosa Parks, Mother Teresa, and the sister of Moses, Miriam, who was a healer, Princess Diana, Indira Gandhi, Queen Elizabeth, and two women who have been so successful and give so much to others, Oprah Winfrey, and Ellen DeGeneres. They do a lot of good in this world. Also, Nancy Reagan, who started the Just Say No to Drugs. So that is International Women's Day. Maybe you have uh, a few you'd like to add to the list. The other thing I want to mention is that we have a new sponsor, which I will be talking about, and we have a giveaway So write this number down, whether you want to talk to our guest or whether you want it to uh, call in for the giveaway, which I will mention when it comes up, 888-627-6008. And Doug is working our streaming. He's... uh, He's our tech guy. He's our producer with BBS Radio. He keeps me alive and streaming worldwide. And uh, I hope he's having a great day. Having a good day, Doug? Fantastic. Thank you, Cindy. Fantastic. He's in California. And I'm sure the weather is beautiful there. More than beautiful. More than More beautiful. More than beautiful, beyond beautiful. <laughs> beautiful people, beautiful place. <laughs> right. 
I like I always like to read something at the beginning of the program that uh that relates to what we're going to talk about. And this is called a creed of friendship. A friend is one of the nicest things you can have and one of the best things you can be. A friend is a living treasure, and if you have one, you have one of the most valuable gifts in life. A friend is the one who will always be beside you through all the laughter and through each and every tear. A friend is the one thing you can always rely on, the someone you can always open up to. You know, I know many people who do radio programs, and they introduce a guest as a friend, even if they've only spoken to them just once. But today, my guest truly is a friend. He's someone I've known for 17 years. And we'll talk about how we met and who introduced us. John Land is a renowned published author. He's a graduate of Brown University. His books are fiction, thrillers, and mysteries. And he also does something that I truly respect. He's mentored kids. And that says something very important about who John Land is. Welcome, John. Is John there? On International Women's Day, I mean, uh, I feel I should be a woman, and with you know. Uh... No, 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 no. You're no. <laughs> I know woman. it's okay. I'll do you my best. You are definitely a man. Ah. You are definitely a man. Last time I checked. <laughs> but you know they have this thing, gender fluidity. Now it hasn't quite struck me yet, but uh, you know, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I mean, it's a long hour, so you never know what might come out in the next fifty-three minutes. <laughs> no, I think you'll. I'm I'm happy with who you are. Thank you. And I hope you're happy with who you are. Don't have a lot of choice. <laughs> so, let's let's just start with how we actually met. Because we met through someone who is a f- friend of ours who neither one of us knew. That's exactly right. We didn't know him when he was alive. We met. We he came into both our lives afterwards. Right. So, do and you want to tell the story? Well, I mean, you know, the, the, it goes back to the to the station fire, uh, the tragedy in Rhode Island that so many people are still talk about, even nationwide, because it was a big thing. It was covered on CNN. It was covered live on, on CNN, in addition to the local stations. And the youngest victim in that fire was uh, a creative person in his own right, a, uh, a writer and musician and actor named Nick O'Neill. He was 18. He was, that, as I said, the youngest victim. I'd never met him That's right. um, um, in his physical state. Right. Um, and um, not long after the fire, um, he came into my life, which was interesting because un, you know, you, this is something that has been part of your life for all your life, basically. Since right. you were a little girl, the spiritual, the ability to communicate with those who have moved on to another plane is right. not some, is always something I, I believed and never gave a lot of thought to, but it, I had never experienced anything. I think a lot of it is the fact when you believe in something, if you're open to something, well, then it's like a door. If the door is open, someone can come through it. Right. If the door is closed, which it is for probably a huge percentage of people in the, in the, in the country, in the world, everywhere... Um, then they can't come through it. So I guess my door was open, like many things. I left it open, and um, I was part of of of, of Nikki, um, this 18-year-old young man, who uh, still had a lot that he wanted to finish, that he wa- still wanted to accomplish, messages that he wanted to get out. Um, not just this kind of things that um, you would think are normal, like you know, I'm, I'm fine. Tell my parents all this kind of thing. But right. ours was a much more enduring relationship, and uh, he became a co-writer of mine, and which is not something I was expecting. But that was a very interesting experience, and it goes, it continues. 
Um, and it's not like one of these things, and I think this is the key thing. This is the key factor in my case. It's very easy for people to say right. when it's a relative, a loved one, a close friend, and they pass. Right. And then you start feeling them still here, and you think they're talking to you, and they're communicating with you, and they're leaving you signs. Well, people can say you want, you're seeing things that aren't there because you want them so much, because right. it's, your, it's just your imagination. Well, in this case, it couldn't have been my imagination because I never met him. It wasn't something, and it took a number of months, and it's a very long story, but it took a number of months for me to put all the pieces together um, of what I was feeling. Um, it was, it, you know, you, you call it psychic shock. Um, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was like, um, you know, it, it, was, it opened, I said I left the door open. Well, this opened a new door, and, and it was a wonderful door. It was for me, because what you realize is that, there's this great other part of, of existence. And you're not sure, very few of us ever have the opportunity to explore the fact that there is this other plane. And there, it's not that it's another world. There's only one world. We share it with a lot of other beings that are not physical. Um, exactly. They're spiritual. They're, they still have consciousness. But what a great gift for me. Um, 17 when did years he ago. first come to you? Um, well, that's a very good question, and I think because started, I met you, I thought at his memorial. You met me at a. We met for the first time at the first production of his play that he had written. Okay, All we right. met in Pawtucket at a church. Um, he, how did he first come to me? Well, if he's going to let me know something is going on, there first there has to be a trigger. In this case, there was an article written by a journalist in the Providence Journal about Nikki on a Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. um, that I and it affected me because I didn't know anybody who was the hundred. The, there were a hundred victims of the station fire night, the nightclub station fire. Right. Um, there were a hundred, and I didn't know any of them. And I read this article, and I said, "Well, you know, I didn't know any of them, um, but I had read a lot in the, the journal. The Providence Journal did a wonderful job of covering." Um, the aftermath of the fire, and you know, all they profiled actually all 100 of the victims um, for for 100 days, and it was amazing um, finding positivity in these people to celebrate lives that had been lost much too soon. I remember one, and then I'll get back to the question. But I remember one um, about a school bus driver, mm -hmm. and every day after his route was over. He would drive his school bus through the drive-through of Dunkin' Donuts to get his disabled mother an iced coffee. And I couldn't help thinking after reading that article in the Providence Journal, who's getting his mother an iced coffee now? Who's wow. bringing her an iced coffee every day? That right. stuck with me. But that's right. another subject. In this case with, with, with Nikki, I read the article, I put the, the newspaper away, and that was all of it. But I was getting in my car a little later in the day, not long after this, not long after reading the newspaper article, which kind of opened that door all the way right. because now I mm -hmm. knew who he was, even though we'd never met. I turned on, and this is something all people should be aware of, how I, our, our spiritual friends are very adept at controlling electronics. At making oh, yes. Static, <laughs> and they can make songs play at certain times. Well, I had lost, you know, I, there was another kid that I knew well, just about Nikki's age, from my hometown of Barrington, you mentioned that I mentor kids. I didn't men mentor this boy whose name was Danny Cole, but I knew him really well. And he had moved in from another town, so um, he didn't know a lot of people. And I, I seemed, we seemed to get along well in my volunteer days for the Barrington Middle School. And now he's a high school junior or even senior, I think, and this is a few years after we first met. But he was killed in a car accident. And at his memorial service, they played his favorite song of all time which was I'll Be by Edwin McCain. Wow. Well, um, so this song, every time I heard this song, it made me think of Danny Cole, because that's the only way I knew the song. I didn't know right. anything else about it. I didn't know the words to the song. Well, not long after, and I mean within an hour after reading the article written in the Providence Journal about Nikki, a mm -hmm. detailed biography, a very impressive piece, I turned on the radio and that song immediately started as a very distinctive opening. And I felt this surge of energy up my spine, like someone had 
dragged, you know, a bucket of ice or poured a bucket of ice right down my back. That's wow. what it felt like. And I knew something, I had never experienced anything like that before. And for the rest of that day, I, I couldn't get this kid I had never met out of my head. Well, clearly, because he was in my head. I even went to a service for him at, that was given, that was being put on, a memorial service that was being put on by the children's theater group he was part of. Right. Now, he's a total stranger. What am I doing on a Sunday night at this thing? Because I was evolving. He was reaching out to me because, obviously, when you're on that plane, you can see things much clearer than when you're where we, where we, where we are. And he right. saw that there was something that we could do together, that I could do, that we could do as a team that mm-hmm. would help him complete whatever mission he had been put on this earth for. The unfinished. Now, I just want to back up a little bit, and then we can mm-hmm. move on. Say what you want about the story I just told. It was months later that I finally looked up the words to the song, I'll Be, by Edwin What Green. are they? Because I don't know. Well, there is a chorus, a refrain, not a chorus, a refrain, mm-hmm. that reads as follows. I've dropped out, I've burned up, I've fought my way back from the dead. Whoa. When I finally looked at the words, everything, and that was months later, everything fell into place. Mm. That it wasn't just because that song was, it was important to me because it represented the death of another boy. Right. Little did I know it was spot on in another way. It was a message directly from this Boy, I didn't know. Right. Letting me know that um, that that was our first contact. Wow. Um, and when I say contact, it's not like there's the, you, you, he's sitting next to me and I have a visual sense of him. It's right. not like I could hear his voice in my head. I maybe I, there were there were times where I thought I could, but how do you know if you've never experienced? There was no affirmation. There was no way to confirm what I was feeling. But things, strange things just kept happening with electronics and with, you know, um, I was, it, it felt like I had to meet his parents, which I ultimately did, and they remain right. great friends of mine to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more I did, the more I wanted to do. It was the most unusual experience, or it would rank definitely in the top two or three. It would be hard for me to come up with one that was more unusual, because this wasn't one night. This this was a, a this was a night a day that became a week it became a month it became several months, um, and when we first met at right. Nikki had written this play, which right because I had said yes. I had said to Dave and Joanne his parents when they first came to me because Nikki came to me the morning after the fire that's right and um, when they came to see me. Um, I said to them, he wants to know if you found the manuscript. And they just looked at each other. And the manuscript was the play. And that's the play that I I met you when it was staged initially at a church in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I felt this overwhelming desire. I think it already started before that production. It had, in fact. It was after... I found out about this play through Nikki's brother Chris, and I read it. It was I thought it was my idea. Clearly, it wasn't to adapt it into a screenplay because Nikki, were even though he didn't know me from where he is, he knows everything, or has access to many card files that we don't have access. So he knew I was a writer, a, a, a thriller writer, a novelist, right. and, I mean, a best-selling and author. he knew that I would get to his parents. Absolutely, and he knew. So all this this just sounds convoluted, but it was all pieces that were fitting together right. so he knew i was a screenwriter and this is so we were on that same wavelength creative people exist on a, on a weird frequency you know we're strange we're eccentric we're different we don't think like everybody else you can't if you want to be a writer or or a musician or an actor you have to be different that's just whatever you want to call it so we are we had this common bond all writers do but nikki you know he wasn't finished with his creative work yet. He wasn't mm-hmm. finished with the messages he wanted to have come out. I think more than anything, in many ways, he wanted people, the world, to know that you could still create, you could still, you could still leave your mark 
after you've already left the world. Now, that sounds crazy. It sounds Not too counter weak. to everything that we accept in our physical realm. But our physical realm is probably as small as is, if, we're, if it's 5% of the world as we know it, that's a lot. So when I first met you, I remember you looked at me, and we had, Joanne, I think we had been introduced, and you looked at me and said, you really need to come see me, don't you? And I said, I really need to come see you. Um, <laughs> and I had already been a few weeks earlier to see, I, I would call it a psychic in training, because she wasn't <laughs> really all that confident. But she said something interesting, and I raised this with you the other day. She said... I, there's a blonde girl who, who I can't, who's right here with us now. Well, Nikki had really long blonde hair, and you when said I first, when you right. tell the story when you first saw him, you weren't sure when either. He, when he first appeared to me the morning after the fire, I didn't know whether it was a male or female because this young person had long blonde hair, blue eyes a short leather jacket and a kind of jeweled T-shirt and just said, please call my father, and then disappeared. And I said, who is this young person? I didn't know whether it was a female or a male. So this psychic in training, what did she say about She Well, we were, you know, this was my first experience with anything like this. She didn't have specifics. She knew there was something going on, and she tried to, she, you know, but the fact that she did have a sense of him, but it was a her, so I ignored it. I didn't think, you know, you some when you're in those situations. But when we f- first met, the mm-hmm. first thing you said to me, and this is very important for the audience to realize, because at this point, I believed it was happening, but I didn't mm-hmm. know it was happening because I hadn't, you know, you, if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, it's a duck. But right. if you can't see the duck, but you can only hear it quacking. Maybe it's not a duck, right? So, okay. the first thing you, one of the first things you said to me in your office for the session that I, for our session, mm-hmm. was, you know, we're you're writing the screenplay with him, but you're not listening to him. He has ideas that's not good. Now, meanwhile, it's important to note before I get to what you said that really cued everything off. Already in the screenplay, I would write, I we would write, I should say, because he's not going to be happy that I would say I. So we would write, although, you know, I would move a chair, literally I'd move a chair next to mine, but I never mm-hmm. had a sense that anyone was in it, because when you're writing, you're in your imagination. You're into a right. different, you're in a zone. You're, you're right. nothing, the world disappears. You're in the world, uh, for me anyway, of what I'm creating. So it, I, it's not like I wrote some and he wrote some. We, it was literally the two souls merging, and that's how we've remained as close as we've been for all these years. Um. But I was putting stuff in and sending the pages to his mother and his brother, and they were going, how did you know this stuff? Like, the villain of the screenplay, who's not in the stage play on which the movie is based. Hmm. Was, I named him Rigby Zorn. Well, we named him Rigby Zorn. Well, Rigby was the name of Nicky's stuffed, what he named his stuffed animal when he was a little boy. There were There were about a dozen things like that hmm. in the story that I could not possibly have known, that were straight out of Nicky, even though I wasn't listening to him enough, because when you get to know him, you realize it's never enough. He, he wants all the, he wants, you know, he wants more of himself. And he in still there. is. <laughs> yeah, oh, no doubt about it. But here's the I mean, here's for the, the last two months. You, you said to me, he's yes. not, you're not listening to him, and he's very upset you took the station fire out. The original oh. opening of the screenplay was a re- was basically the station fire fictionally done not called that but that's clearly what it was mm-hmm. and i and, and as we went on in the screenplays we continued to work on it it felt to me like that was too on the nose by the way nicky loved to write late at night he loved to listen to music i did i i like to write late at night not quite as late as he did but i conformed my schedule to maximize his ability to be here it's also when you write, the later you write, there's less, there's less stuff in the air that gets in the way of, of the vibrations and the energy that people, our spiritual friends, give off. So, right. you know, I was doing things to accommodate him, and I think he appreciated that no end because it showed a belief and a compromise that I was accepting his presence, that I, I welcomed his presence. 
But I had taken that scene out and replaced it with a school bus accident in which the character, Nick, based on Nikki, passes away, is killed tragically. And then you said, no one knew about this. No one ever saw the script with the station fire in it. You knew. You knew because he told you. So I ask anyone who's skeptical about these things, if he didn't tell you about the, ex- the, the excising of a scene only two people knew about, me and Nikki, that's it. If he didn't tell you, did you guess? Did you take this wild guess? You know, No, you didn't because you heard it from him. And, right. I, and, and I would I say, trust, yes. I trust when I hear something from someone who's passed on, from someone in spirit, I have to deliver that as it comes in and not try to analyze it. And there's, and you know, look, Dave and Joanne, in addition to the stuff that you've brought to them, they've had affirmation from, from other spiritual mediums like Robert Brown and others. Right. Who um, and Robert Brown's been on your show. Um, yes. And I had a session with Robert Brown. Now, Robert Brown doesn't. You, you, you could say, okay, people listening who are skeptical could say, well, you're at the play and clear, you know, that, well, maybe you mu- it must have been because there's something here and, you know, this and that. Well, this man didn't know who I was. He, right. barely, he didn't even, you know, I didn't, I, it was a gift. So I don't even know if, you know, I introduced myself. It was the first time I ever met him. And um, I, I was with him for an hour, and the first half hour was my mother. Um, and he nailed her perfectly, and then all of a sudden he went, "Oh wait a minute, someone else just came in." Literally something like that. And then it was, and then he starts laughing and says, "Yeah, he, I know this. What's he doing here?" So, because Robert Brown yeah. basically recognized him from dealing with with with, with his with Nikki's parents. So, the thing about this is, when you're a creative person, when you're creative, when you're a writer, an actor. But when, especially when either you're interpreting other people's work or you're creating your own, you have to have an open mind. You have to be able to get in touch with the part of your brain that just creates from the imagination. I don't know where what I write comes from. The thing is, though, and this is a crucial thing, doctors, scientists, neurosurgeons, whatever, head doctors know that the part of the creative part of the brain is located very closely to the part of the brain where intuitive abilities lie. And also the part of the brain where psychosis lies, where people who hear voices that aren't really there, or maybe they are. How do we, how do we know for sure? The part of the brain that kids build their invisible friends, or are they really... But a lot of, a lot of times when kids say that, you know, that they have an invisible friend, but it actually, and I tell parents, listen to what your children are saying, because they may be feeling either their grandparents that have passed on. I mean, sometimes a child that has a chair in their room will say to a parent, my grandpa sits in that room every night with me. And the parents will either slough it off or say, oh, it's their imagination. But children are still so open. It's as we get older that we shut those doors and windows. But they're still very open to accepting, whether it's an intuitive feeling or a connection with someone who's passed over. And we don't know. And, and the thing about well, the great experience for me, as someone who is open-minded, it, it it's it's like an adventure, and and you 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 you're opening a new world to yourself that this could be possible, and 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 you could have a relationship with someone because I think in your experience, people come to you because they want to they want to talk or know about or or have some communication with relatives and or friends who have passed. The difference with and me, they, and this is this is the distinction, and I think it's you know you could you, you know it's it would seem to me very rare that someone who didn't know a person when they were in physical form right. begins an entire relationship with them when they're in spiritual form. 
it eliminates the possibility that I could be making stuff up based on what I remember about Nikki because I don't remember anything about Nikki. So when I call his mother, this is years and years and years ago, and I said, I have to tell you something. You know, I don't usually get a lot from him during the day, but today he was sad for some reason. And it was fall, and he was talking about apple picking. I heard, I kept hearing apple picking. And his mother mm-hmm. goes, oh, my God, it was one of his favorite things to do in the fall. Now, if I had known that, hearing right. it wouldn't have, meant very, wouldn't have meant nearly as much as being able to communicate that to his mother. Because how could I hear that in my head? Apple picking. I've never picked an apple in my life. The closest I've come to picking an apple is picking them out at Eastside Marketplace in Providence, Rhode Island. Right. You know, that's, that's how I pick apples. I don't go to trees. I don't go to apple orchards. I eat, I eat pie. All right? I eat pie and vanilla ice cream, and I pick apples out uh, of the huge bin of apples. And what are you going to pick? You're going to pick the best ones from the top, but you're not going to reach down to the bottom. So what do I know about apple picking? So, right. again, I could, there are a thousand things like this where he has said something or done something or something, and I'll say, and then, it, what it, then you know, you're still not 100% sure. But, and I don't get it right every time. I might hear something, and I don't quite have it. You know, I didn't hear the whole thing right. Because it's not like a, it's, it's in my head. It isn't a physical right. voice. It's, it, it's kind of like, you know, when you're having it's an imaginary like conversation with someone. Um, you're channeling you're channeling, and that's the thing. I, I'm a channel for one person. Thing, you know, I've never had another um, experience. I've never had anyone else. There's only room in my head for one per, for one person who's not, not here your mom. Physically. Uh, no, I've never. I, I'm sure that you know. Maybe I'm not as open to my own relatives, which is a weird thing. Um, maybe it's the it's the thing where I can't be sure because I know things too well. You she know? was she was, and she was your biggest fan. Oh, yeah. And because even before the program today, she said, go easy on my son. <laughs> <laughs> well, well. <laughs> Which you know, is she something doesn't... she probably would have said anyway. And, and I told her about Nikki, and that's how she actually called. She, you and her had a, had a couple of very long conversations. I knew you'd be two peas in a pod. Um, anyway. We but, used to talk a lot on the phone. Yeah. And look, I think that if you want to be a creative person, if you want to, if you want to be good at it, if you want to, if you want to write based on instinct, if you want to write organically, it, it, you know, based on what you feel, and and you trust your imagination, trust your imagination enough to tell you the direction the story should go in. Trusting your imagination when you write a story is no, is no different than trusting that other part of your subconscious which lives next to the imagination. That when you're experiencing something that feels incredible that doesn't mean it's not real it's 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 the ability now i guess the you point said I'm something making, very interesting before when we talked before the program uh-huh what did i say you said the universe talks to the heart that's the right the world talks to your head well and and, and that's not just to do with nikki when i went right. to brown university and this ties in perfectly with the theme of your program when i went to brown university i was a certain that I was going to go to law school after Brown as I was about going to college after high school. There was no doubt that I was going to law school. That was the world. That was my world. I had mm-hmm. told everyone in my family that was the plan. I, I had a dream of being a lawyer. I loved Perry Mason growing up. I loved law, all legal shows growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, loved it. But then I got to Brown, and I fell in love with writing. It was like I was being pushed into it. You know, I didn't. I never even thought of it. And I'm not talking about creative writing. I've never taken a creative writing class. I've written 51 books. I've never taken a creative writing class. Is but I fell in love with reading. And at Brown, you fall. Brown has this wonderful thing that when I was there was called the new curriculum. Now it's the same thing, but it's called the open curriculum because it's not new anymore. It allows mm-hmm. you to experiment. And because of Brown's open curriculum, the new curriculum back then. I was able to change horses in the middle of the stream because I mm. fell in love with reading and I fell in love with th- even writing research papers. I just fell in love with the process of writing and I fell in love with seeing, I really wanted to see my name in print. Mm. So I started writing magazine articles and then I started writing fiction. 
And because of Brown's curriculum, I was able to write a novel, my first novel as a senior thesis, even though I'd never taken a writing class in my life. Because well, the world... What was the name of that first? It, was, it has a bunch of... First it was called Iconoclast, and then mm-hmm. I retitled it The Abaddon Factor. Uh, don't ask me why I don't remember. Um, but um, the world, the physical world, the conscious world, right. had me going to law school. The safe thing. The thing right. you do because it's what you've always planned to do. The universe wanted me to go in another direction. Right. And, I w- and you know the old saying, go with the flow? Right. Um, it's what Stephen King also calls you scratch where it itches. You know, <laughs> that's life. If you, if you don't... If you don't Scratch an itch, it never goes away. It's gonna, it's just gonna stay. So you scratch it, you rub it, you you do whatever it takes to make it go away. So I scratched where it itched, and and I've, and and there are still moments in my life where I wonder, was this the right thing to do? I Absolutely. Mean, well, you know, you, you let's. I, I, we're not having this conversation. If I'm a lawyer now, I never meet Nikki. If I'm a lawyer now, uh, my entire <laughs> life is is different. But John, can we? Take just a moment. I have to take a moment to give our new sponsor uh, a moment. Not a problem. We have to we have to take care of our sponsors. Okay, I'll be right back with you, John. Don't go away. This is Cindy Gilman. I want to tell you about our new sponsor called Tipsy Chicks. That's T I P S Y. If you're looking for a unique fun gift for a birthday, wedding, bachelorette, or just a girl's night out, visit tipsychicks.com. Tipsy Chicks is a women-owned business that encompasses a variety of gift items, fun products that make fantastic gifts. Their products are definitely original, whimsical, captivating, and cost-effective. From their super unique magnetic drink charms in over 100 varieties to a beautiful bracelet flask, Tipsy Chicks has the perfect trendy gift everyone will love. And they can even customize your gift if you like. So you have to check out their website, tipsychicks.com. You're going to love it. Now, Tipsy Chicks has offered... And the two women who run the company are close friends, Chrissy and Marnette. Just their background and stories is interesting in itself. But they said if you go to their website, which is tipsy, T-I-P-S-Y-C-H-I-C-S dot com, and go to their marketplace, get what you want, click the promotion button or enter promotion and write discover as in discover your potential, they will give you 20% off. So their promo code is enter discover and they will give you 20% off. Now, if somebody wants to call us right now, at the 888 number, 627-6008, we are going to give away, or they are, a set of their rhinestone tipsy tags. Now, you know, for me, um, although I'm not a drinker, when you go to a place and you order a glass of wine and then you want to get up to dance or go to the ladies' room or men's room. You don't know which glass is yours. So these tipsy tags you put right on your drink, or if you give them as a gift, you give um, people can put them right on their glasses of wine, and uh, they know that's, that's, their, that's their glass. So... For the first person that does call in here at our 888-627-6008, 
we will put you on the... You're not going to give us your information on the air, but I'd like your first name, and uh, then I will... You can email me. So we'll see if we... See if we get anybody who wants a free gift. So we are back with my wonderful guest, renowned published author, John Land. Are you there? I'm right here listening. I was dialing the number so I could enter the contest. (laughs) Well, you know what? If nobody else calls and you (laughs) have... Somebody you would like to give a set of tip, tipsy tags to. Tipsy tags, which, uh, is, which of course for writers and alcohol go very well together, so this would be, uh, you know. Oh, is that right? Well, I don't know. <laughs> Just ask Hemingway and Faulkner and Fitzgerald and that's all right, those guys. That's right. So they did, but I bet they didn't have tipsy tags. No, they probably didn't. They probably drank it right from the bottle. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, so here we are. Here we are. Now, let's talk about, we've talked about how we met, and we've known each other 17 years. I want to talk about your writing, your books, how, what your process is. Well, I'm an, I, I write by the seat of my pants. I don't outline. I have an idea where I'm going, but I let the story take me where it wants to go. And that, to me, is storytelling. You know, you can write a great story if you, because everybody's going to find their own way of doing it. For me, if I don't know what's going to happen next, the reader can't possibly know what's going to happen next. And the, more, the less I know what I'm writing, the better I write, because... There's a fear, um, an anxiety that nothing is going to be there. When you, it used to be the blank page, now it's the blank screen. But it's always there. All, every time I turn the computer on when I'm creating, because I'm not always creating, a lot of times I'm rewriting, fixing what sucks about what I did first. Um, get you, the first thing you want to do is get it down. Then you get it right. You start, but you can't get anything right unless you get it down first. And I can't tell you. How many writers have come up to me, or would-be writers, have come up to me and said, you know, I've written the opening of a book 50 pages 10 different times. I've got 10 great books sitting in my closet, sitting in my mm. shelf. But I can't get past page 50. Well, of course, if they had just written 500 pages of one book, they'd be finished. But no, because you get to, writers get to a point where they, where they get stuck because they've exhausted the limits of what they knew or what they thought so, they knew. Is and that for me, writer's block or is that something? That's what some people call it, writer's block. Most people, but for, and for people who haven't done it before, it's, it's, it's more they just don't know where they're going. And partially that is writer's block. I don't believe in writer's block. I think because it, when you have a job, this is a job. This is how I met. This is my living. Yeah. I don't have a right if I'm a cop, a doctor, um, you know, a, you know, a construction work. I haven't got the right to say, I have writer's block today. They don't, can you say you have lawyer's block, doctor's block? In your case, psychic medium's block? Radio talk show host block? I'm not going on today. I don't feel like it. I'm blocked. No. If you're a <laughs> professional, you do the work. You, do, you show up in your office, which is, in my case, a 10-second commute across the hall from my, <laughs> you know, and you do the work. And the, way, and the secret to doing the work is to always remember to get yourself out of the way and let the story be the story. I was a camp counselor for many years. I was, um, I was a camp counselor for many years. And I, I used to love telling stories around campfires and cabins and that kind of thing. And I used to tell old Twilight Zone, so I would know the beginning of the Twilight Zone. I know the great twist ending at the end. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't remember the middle. So I kind of had to we, make up the middle. And I think and that's where most writers fail. They can write a great beginning because it's, they don't know where they're going. But once they have to commit to really how they're going to start bringing things together, that's when they get stuck. Well, Hold that on. training. John? Yes. John, we have a caller on the line. Oh, we have a caller. Bring her on. We have Emma. a caller. 
Hello, caller. This is Cindy Gilman. Hi, Cindy. My, Hi. my name is Norma, and I just um, I think I'm the first caller. Yes, you are. So you are the winner of the prize. So this is what I want you to do. Email me okay. at cindy at cindygilman.com, and they will send you your free gift, which is a whole set of rhinestone tipsy tags. Oh, that's fantastic. I am a regular listener, and I love your program, and um, I'm happy that I'm, I won something. Yes, you did. Thank you. Are you enjoying it today, very... Norma? Are you enjoying the I'm program sorry? today? It's very, very good. Very, very, very in- interesting. Um, loving it. I love all of her shows, but yes, it is. Nice, um, nice listening to you, too, John. Thank you. Wait a minute. Were you... John, where did you grow up? Barrington, Rhode Island. Norma, what's connected for you in Barrington? I actually live in Barrington. Bingo. How about that? That is crazy. Norma, did you have have any kids go through the school system? Maybe they had me when I was volunteering at the middle school. Um, actually, my I have two sons, and they went to um, St. Luke's, the Catholic oh, school okay. in town. So they didn't see me because I never went to St. Luke's. That's right. Well, but Norma, congratulations world. on winning, and thank you for being such a, an ardent listener. Thank you very much. Nice talking okay. to both of you. Bye. Bye, Norma. Bye-bye, dear. Well... Norma won the the tipsy the tipsy. Now, now, Cindy, do you, you don't know Norma, right? Right. So you just had a sense that she was from my hometown. No, I just had a Barrington sense. Well, I think that worked out pretty well, didn't it, for everyone else listening out there? Hmm. Isn't that something? You know, you, when you write a great line, when you tell a great story, when you're finished, you know the. You know, I just finished a screenplay this week. There, it's an incredible feeling. And I, but every little bit, you know, you, you, you have this sense if you write a great line or if you get something right. It feels very much like what just happened because we can't take for granted that a woman you never met and you're listening to her voice on the phone and all of a sudden you get the sense that the, 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 you made the connection that, we, that out of nowhere – that your guest and you, and the one woman who called in were from the same hometown. That's that kind of moment in your world that I get in my world when I write that great line or something just falls together. Or I go, oh, my God, now I know what this character is. Now I know the twist ending of the story. Um, it's something that never gets tired. It never gets old. And I think for all creative people, if you're listening, part of being being able to do that is being afraid you won't be able to. It's the little bit of anxiety, that little bit of fear. Every book I've ever written, I don't tell this to a lot of people, but I'll tell it to you. Mm -hmm. I always think when I start a book, I've published 51 books now, I think. It might be 50, it might be 50. You know, I lose track. But it's around 51. And every book I've ever written, (laughs) every book I've ever written, I, right. I was always afraid wasn't going to be long enough, that I wouldn't have enough to write, that I'll get halfway through and I'll be done. But no, there's always, because my subconscious knows the story long before my conscious know, consciousness knows the story. And the mark of a, of a really, before you can be successful, you have to trust your subconscious. You have to trust your imagination. And what I tell writers is think about what it's like to tell a little kid a story. Read me a story. Tell me a story, Papa. Tell me a story, Mom. Tell me a story when they're little. When you're writing, you are writing to that part of a person. And you're writing from that part of you. And that's why you have to trust your imagination. Sure, there's research. Sure, you have sources. Sure, you have to know what you're talking about. But none of that matters if you can't 
tell a story, a beginning, a middle, and an end. People tell me, what is the most important thing about, if I want to be a writer, what's the best advice you can give me? I used to say very simply, tell a great story. I've changed Mm. that recently. I now say, have fun telling a great story. Because if you are not just the person writing the story, you are the first person to read the story. And if you don't like it, how can you expect another reader to like it? What made you choose the genre of thrillers and mysteries? It's a great question, and you don't choose the genre. The genre chooses you. You can only Uh write what you would read if someone else had written it. Now, that's one answer. In other words, I love thrillers. I grew up. You know, what, I grew up on, those, on the Sean Connery, James Bond movies when I was five, six, seven, eight years old. I remember my father taking me to North by Northwest, the most important movie ever made for the thriller structure. Without North by Northwest, there wouldn't have been James Bond movies because it mm. proved you could do a movie like that and make it work with Cary Grant. In fact, Cary Grant was the first actor ever offered the role in feature films. It, Bond had been played by somebody else on television. He was the first actor ever offered the role of James Bond, Cary Grant, with Alfred really? Hitchcock directing. And Alfred Hitchcock said, I already made that movie. It was called North by Northwest. The movie they wanted to direct was, was Dr. No. Um, so I had loved this genre for a long time. And then I fell in love with Stephen King, who writes horror thrillers. Um, right. But as I, grew, as I got older and as I got more experienced, and I, you know, I landed an agent, but I, rem- I always remembered what my agent, my first and, and agent, Tony Mendez, the great Tony Mendez, a woman, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tony said, if you know the characters, you can write anything. Anyway, what she was saying is the characters dictate. So I do write things that may not always be considered thrillers because I write the Murder, She Wrote books uh, based on right, the fabulous Right, yeah, let's talk about TVs. that. Yeah, I write Jessica Fletcher. So here's the thing. We opened the show by talking about channeling Nikki and, and, and feeling what he wanted in the script. I couldn't feel it consciously, but I felt it subconsciously, and it created the bond between us that has persisted and endured to this day, um, that, that kind of channeling. When I write the Murder, She Wrote books, I'm channeling a fictional character, Jessica Fletcher. I'm channeling the character of Angela Lansbury. I hear Angela, those books are first person, as opposed to my other books, which are third person. So when I write third person, I can shift viewpoints a lot. But when I write Murder, She Wrote, every scene, you know, uh, Jessica Fletcher has to be in every scene because it's first person. So I'm channeling a fictional character um, who was created on television. I remember the TV show, of course. Um, Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, the same thing is true. When I write my Texas Ranger Caitlin Strong books, I'm channeling Caitlin Strong. I'm channeling, now in those books, I might have seven or eight different POVs, point of views, characters who you see a scene through the eyes of. And the fun part of writing third person more than first person is you can get into the head of all the characters, especially the villains. The villains are fun because they're not... You really love that. Yeah, well, you know what? It's, you, you, you... you again, you, you you write because you have to write, right. and the fun is in creating characters who surprise you. There's a chapter I wrote in a book called Strong Vengeance, chapter 41. Isn't that ironic? That was Nikki's huh. favorite number, by the way. It right. just turned out it was 41. I don't, I'm not reading more into that. But I cannot read chapter 41 of Strong Vengeance because it's too scary. Really? Nothing bad happens in chapter 41 of Strong Vengeance. But it's a scene that is so, un, it, uh, it's so unsettling and it's so intense that I can no longer read that scene. It's the only scene I've ever read like that because I created a villain who is so despicably evil. Ooh. What he's thinking, it got in my head because I, I created him. I don't want him in my head anymore. I don't want those thoughts in my head anymore. Right. Um, when and, did and, you write that book? Oh, my God. I, I'd say probably uh, it was the third in the Caitlin Strong, fourth in the Caitlin Strong series, so it would have been 2015, 14, somewhere around there. 
wow. um, n- not that long ago. But this is the mark. George R. R. Martin, who created Game of Thrones, wrote all the Game of Thrones books, right. uh, the, the World of Fire and Ice. When he wrote the book that has the famous red wedding scene in it, for, uh, one of the most famous scenes in the TV show as well. Mm-hmm. He wrote that scene out of sequence. He wrote it last. He came back to it. Because he knew well, if he wrote that scene in sequence and killed all those characters, he would never be able to finish the book. It would take too much out of him. Um, yeah. Pat Conroy, who wrote The Prince of Tides, Beach Music, The Great Santini, um, one of the great writers of our time, literally, Pat Conroy. Every time he wrote a book, he became, it, was, it took so much out of him, he, almost, he would almost kill himself. Literally, he wrote Prince he of him, Tides. Yes, he wrote Prince of Tides, but it was because he put so much into a book. He lived, the, he lived those characters so deeply, so intensely, that he couldn't get them out of his head when he finished the book. And, and this was true of Heath Ledger when he did Joker in, in The Dark Knight. He couldn't get the Joker out of his head. It, it ended up killing him because he couldn't get off drugs. You know, and well, I, let's, we only have less than a minute, believe it or not. This hour has flown by. So is there any one? Oh, first of all, how can people get your books? Amazon, Barnes & Noble, but the best way is Amazon these days because you can have them the next day, and they're all available on Amazon, whereas they're not all available in bookstores anymore. And John is spelled J-O-N for our <laughs> listeners. J-O-N-L-A-N-D, that's right. Google John me, you'll find all kinds of stuff. Land, L-A-N-D. My friend, my favorite writer, <laughs> thank you for spending this hour with me, with our audience. I think we had a good time. We had a great time. We had Hopefully the audience time. did, too. They're more important than we are. I hope so. I'm sure they did. We'll we'll hear about that. They'll either, is there an email address or something for people they, or they can go to johnlandbooks.com. There's a, they can email me there. Um I get it immediately. I get it as fast as I website? would if you send it to is yeah, that the johnlandbooks.com. Uh www.johnlandbooks all one word .com and you can drop me a line right there. I get it immediately and I respond to all but the angriest of emails. <laughs> the angry emails right. I don't respond to. Okay. Thank you for today. Thank you. Thank you for Enjoy having the me, rest Cindy. Of... Pardon? Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure, my treat. I, it was so good. I'm sure that somebody arranged this. <laughs> Have a great rest of the night. And to all of our listeners... Have a great weekend or the rest of the weekend. Enjoy Daylight Savings Time. It's lighter later. May God bless all of you. And uh, we'll see you next time on Discover Your Potential. This is Cindy Gilman signing off. Hello, I am Ron Hayden of Voices Unlimited. I've been writing and voicing radio and television commercials, toys, games, corporate sales and training and so much more for over 25 years nationally and globally. I will write or co-write and voice your radio or TV spots on hold messages or whatever you need in one of my many voices or celebrity voices, custom characters, or an announcer voice. A great gift idea. Have me make a celebrity phone call for a special occasion. Just go to www.ronhayden.com to sample my voice demos. Email me at rhvoices1 at msn.com. I look forward to working with you in a high voice, a low voice, or just my voice. Cindy Gilman is a certified holistic and Reiki and energy practitioner, as well as a spiritual medium. As a spiritual medium and empath, she conducts individual personal consults either by phone or in her office. All sessions are professional and confidential. For a phone consultation or in-office appointment, go to www.cindygilman.com or call 401-885-4115.
This is Discover Your Potential. I must tell you about our new sponsor, Tipsy Chicks. If you're looking for a unique, fun gift for a birthday, wedding, bachelorette, or just a girl's night out, you should visit tipsychicks.com. Tipsy Chicks is a women-owned business that encompasses a variety of gift items, fun products that make fantastic gifts. Their products are definitely original, whimsical, captivating, and cost-effective. From their super unique magnetic drink charms in over 100 varieties to a beautiful bracelet flask, Tipsy Chicks has the perfect trendy gifts everyone will love. And they can even customize your gift if you like. You have to check out their website. You'll be so excited. Go to tipsychicks.com. That's T-I-P-S-Y-C-H-I-C-S dot com. You're going to love it.